0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah
1: study.
2: We are in Parshat Mot this morning. We are beginning our conversation in Chapter 16 of the Yom Kippur Ritual. These are the origins, as far as we have, in terms of scripture, these are the origins of our you know, Yom Kippur day uh, of atoning for the people of Israel, uh, and so we're going to get a close look at that, um, but I want us to feel free to move this into a conversation about Yom Kippur, right? We don't get to talk about Yom Kippur very much. Right, because at Yom Kippur we're not here. Like we're we're in shul, right? So, um, so we actually don't talk very much about both the, the biblical origins. What's up with that? What's going on there? And then how does that get uh, translated once we no longer have a temple? So we'll begin at chapter 16. We're in the first triennial year reading for this parsha. This is a double parsha, ahari moten and Acharimot means literally what? Yeah,
3: after, after the death.
2: death. After the death. Who are we talking about? Nadab. Nadab and Abihu. Aaron's two sons, right? So we studied that last week. Last week. Acharimot. So this is Acharimot. It is paired with Gedoshim. In the first year triennial reading, we read the first part of Acharimot. So uh, if you will begin, Robert.
1: Adonai spoke to Moses after the death of two sons of Aaron. He died when they grew too close drew too close to the presence of Adonai. Adonai said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come at will into the shrine behind the curtain, in front of the cover that is upon the ark, lest he die, for I appear in the cloud over the cover. Thus only shall Aaron enter the shrine with a bull of the herd for a purgation offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He should be dressed in the sacral, in a sacral linen tunic with linen breeches next to his flesh and be girt with a linen sash and he shall wear a linen turban. They are sacral vestments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And from the Israelite community he shall take two he goats for a purgation offering and a ram for a burnt offering.
2: Okay. So it's worded a little weirdly that... So what it's stated in the negative... That Aaron is not to what? What is Aaron not supposed to do?
0: He's got to come in at his
2: will. So he's not to come in to where?
0: At
2: will. Okay. The Holy of Holies, right? So if here's the Mishkan, then Normally, the priests have their duties in here. They have it out here at the big mithayach, the big altar. Uh, but then they have, you know, stuff going on. <laughs> yes, my artistic talents. I know, I know. Try to keep your seats. There, I know. I know. It's a shame it has to be okay. it, It's a shame, isn't it, that, <laughs> that my artwork will be gone tomorrow. Um, so if you can t- decipher this at all. But here's the the Mishkan and you've got the Mizbeach outside then in here you have the the showbread you have the smaller incense uh, Mizbeach uh, altar and you have the menorah so the the duties of the priests are in here it's here and here here's the parochet right so you have the parochet separates this part of the Mishkan from what Kodesh Kedoshim right the holy of holies so the Kodesh Kedoshim the holy of holies is here this parochet separates it so the, our text is telling us Aaron is not to go here at will so it's a it's a strange way of saying he's supposed to go in there only on Yom Kippur There's the only day he he comes behind the parochet why why can't he go in here?
3: Lest he die.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Reuben has learned to read quite carefully our text. Exactly right. He's not to enter here lest he die. <coughs> why would he die? Because
0: he's too
2: so close. Close. That's right. He would come too close. Too close to God's kabod
3: and he's had quite a lesson in that
2: and he they've all (laughs) just had quite a lesson in what happens when one gets too near the the kavod the presence of Adonai
3: now we put the parochet just in front of the Torah don't we? correct so it's really been adapted a different way
2: yes and no what is this?
3: well the holy of holies is the Torah?
2: no what is this? Inside the Holy of Holies. What is it? It's the Ark. The Ark. So you have an Ark, you have a parochet. Yeah. You have an Ark. Okay. And so what's inside the Ark in the Holy of Holies?
3: Oh, the Ten, Commandments.
2: the Ten Commandments. So it's not really that different, right?
3: just
2: Right. Words, the, our sacred words, our sacred obligations, our sacred understandings of how to behave with one another and with the divine live inside the Ark in the Holy of Holies. The parochet, right, Screens it because it's so holy, and so you know that that survives as the custom of putting a curtain in front of the Sifrei Torah. Separation
3: from the profane to the sacred.
2: Correct. It's another division, Uh right? Between well, and in this case, not the. the, Not quite like. it's It's not just profane and and sacred because this is sacred too, right? This part of the Mishkan is sacred. It's just less. Right. Supercharged. It's, this is the super sacred. Exactly. Thank you, Ruben. This is the super sacred. This is just regular sacred. Right? And same with us, right? We would consider the sanctuary sacred space. But, but there's a different degree of holiness associated with the Aron, with the Ark, and with the Sefer Torah.
3: Was this always so? Or was this, uh, did this come into play
0: after the sons died?
3: So that's a
2: very good question. That's an excellent question, Sarah. So I would love to see that midrash that you're going to write. Um,
3: <laughs>
2: that that maybe, maybe, you know, it was okay for everyone to go behind, for Aaron to go behind the parochet before until Nadav and Avihu explode. And then it's like, okay, wait, 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 wait. Maybe human proximity to God's kavod Is not as survivable as we thought, right? right? So maybe we have to put in a a a clause that says don't don't do it, don't mess with it. Nice, very nice. Um, so so God's kavod is concentrated here, and this covering, the covering on which are the two kruvim, right? The two cherub, scary things that um, are on the top. it's from between those, right, that, that God speaks to Moshe. And so that, that cover, remember that the kruvim are, 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 a, are a piece with the cover, right? They're, they're carved in a way that they kind of come out of the cover. The cover is gold. And that cover is called kaporet, Okay, that should already start to sound fishy like, for our purposes. Like the chicken. Ah, it's like the chicken swinging around the caporus. Right exactly right. So, and we're going to see we're going to see where it originates. This this idea, but but there is a connection to caporus, right? What? So so we're dealing with this. Oh, why do why do they touch my things? My eraser, really, really, really. So we're dealing with this stem. For those of you who don't read Hebrew, you don't have to to hear it, right? Kapara, Kippur, Lechaper, Kaparat, Kaporet. Right? You don't have to speak Hebrew to hear the kuf. I mean the kaf. Pei resh shoresh, the root, right? So dealing with this shoresh in Hebrew, kaf pei resh, has a very complicated history, extremely complicated. I've read probably six intellectual, scholarly articles on this stem and still can't tell you exactly what goes on. Like I, I don't know if my brain just doesn't want to retain it, but you would think. Like, of all the thing, my, things you've heard my brain retain, like, <laughs> that are ever so pertinent to the world we live in, um, that this would be one of them that would stick. Right? So I think it's either just super it's <laughs> charged, super messy, you know, and just keeps turning back on itself, or I just don't get it. But, um, I mean, we're going to walk through a little bit of it, um, because I think it's important. Uh, Schopenkipurus is exactly from this. Exactly right, and it's gonna it's gonna tie into the thing that we're gonna see next um, here. Okay. The
3: race is absolutely important. Yes. That
2: yes, the race matters, and it doesn't drop. Race is not a letter that drops. It does neither does the cough or the pay. Um, I ever.
0: Find any uh, explanation for this being read on uh,
2: the what is the explanation for this being read on Yom Kippur? Yeah. Because this is the the doings of Yom Kippur at the Mishkan and later in the temple. This is what was done on Yom Kippur. So remember we talked about if you read about sacrifices, it was as if you were participating in it. So once the temple's destroyed and they have to decide what to do on Yom Kippur, you, you as a people have have had this set of rituals that atones for the people and for the priesthood. So it restarts, it resets, right? It's, you know, like c- control, alt, delete, right? You know, it, it control, alt, deletes the relationship with God, right? It resets the whole thing. So without that, what are you going to do? All right, it's, it, it's two years after the destruction of the temple. What, it's Yom Kippur. What do we do as Jews? What would we do? We would read what they used to do in the temple from Leviticus because there's there's no other way to participate in the rituals. There isn't a a whole, we wear white and fast and wear a nice hat and go to shul. Right? There isn't any of that. This just gets obliterated. Now, probably there were other customs that were already happening in rabbinic circles, right, in the late temple period. Already things going on on Yom Kippur besides the temple ritual. But once your main way of resetting the relationship is obliterated, where do you even start? You start by reading it. Because that's our only way to participate in it anymore. So that's how it begins. And it becomes the central liturgy. Right? Or the the Avoda services is read on Yom Kippur still. All right. Where are we? We are given
0: when to do it in Tishrei, so we, we do have some written as to when this should take place. Yeah. Right. So that's all I'm saying, that there's, what there is in here when it's supposed to happen that we can continue it at the proper time.
2: Yeah, just like all the festivals here, right? Like all the holidays, we're told exactly when it's supposed to be, so we know... When it is, and that's what are you going to do if you don't have the temple? And it's that day we're going to read it. Okay. All right. So, so Aaron is only supposed to enter the the Holy of Holies right on this day, and he doesn't wear his regular garments. His regular priestly, high priestly garments are the ones, if you'll recall, that are made out of all that gold um, thread and uh, crimson and Purple and right, all those amazing colors, and the big uh, what's it called? Turban, right? All of that, that is not what he wears when he goes into the holy of holies. Instead, he's gonna wear li- white linen vestments that were fashioned for this occasion. So, once a year, white linen garments that he wore for this very dangerous, very dangerous ritual. Because if one little thing Goes wrong if one little thing isn't attended to what happens to Aaron? we, we just saw
0: yeah.
2: we just saw, right Navihu. <laughs> and can you imagine the father preparing to deal with this ritual after having watched what happens, what happens right when it goes wrong? okay which has to complicate, I would believe, his relationship to these rituals forever,
3: right? Well, to his entire
2: role. Right? So he he has to do all this stuff, and he's seen right, that it consumed, literally, his sons. All right. Yes? Does it say in the Torah, actually, that Aaron um, was
3: there when it happened?
2: Or do we just assume that? What we know is... What we know from the text is Vayidom Aharon, and Aharon was silent. Where he was standing, I don't know. Right, but but his response is Vayidom Aharon, and Aharon was silent. The reason we think he was there was because they are immolated, and Moshe says, this is what God meant when God said, by those close to me, I will be sanctified. And Vayidom Aharon, and Aharon was silent. So, it doesn't say, and Moshe dispatched a messenger to Aaron. Uh, it, so it seems that it's all happening there, but that's probably, that's probably the closest I can get to why, you know, why we think he's there. All right. Want to go on?
1: Aaron is to offer his own full purgation offering to make expiation for himself and for his household. Aaron shall take two he goats, and let them stand before Adonai at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he shall place lots upon the two goats, one marked for Adonai and the other marked for Azazel. Aaron shall bring forward the goat designated by Lot for Adonai, which he is to offer as a purgation offering. While the goat designated by Lot for Azazel shall be left standing alive before Adonai to make expiation with it and to send it off uh, to the wilderness
2: All right. So the first thing that happens is Aharon takes a bull. He takes a bull for what? For right for a sin offering, right? For himself. For
1: haha.
2: For himself. The first ritual of Yom Kippur is the high priest bringing a huge, glorious animal for sacrifice in order to atone for his own sins and the sin of his household, the sins of his household, right? So there's a very powerful message to the people about who we think the high priest is, right? And we talked about this, you know, before that it... it, it proves, you know, to the people, time and time again, and certainly every Yom Kippur, that the priest is no different than the rest of the people. It is assumed he has sinned. It is assumed his household has sinned, and he there isn't like if the priest thinks he's done something wrong. Right? It says the first thing that happens is the bull for purgation for Aaron and his household. Got to
0: use his own bull.
2: Got to use your
3: own bull,
2: right? So he shall be dressed in a, right, in a special linen tunic with linen breeches and be girded with a linen sash, and he shall, shall wear this linen turban, right? And he will do mikvah before he puts them on. He must be in a, in a state of ritual purity before he puts them on. And now what happens? Now for the Israelites, he's going to take two he-goats. All right, that's important, that they're seir, that they're goats, And that they're he-goats is important. So Aaron is to make his, did you read this? Aaron is to offer his own bull offering, right? To make expiation for himself and his household. He takes the two he-goats and places them before Adonai at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So proximity, right? By bringing them to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he will draw lots. Yeah? He's going to draw lots for what? For what? See which one lives and to, to see which one is sacrificed and which gets set. Which is sacrificed to he vav hey right? Well, actually, here it doesn't even say sacrificed yet. <laughs> one is marked La Donai, the goral Echan La Azazel. We're going there. So one is designated, now we have to figure out how to translate it. Because how we translate it now is gonna have something to do with how we translate it later. Ladonai, one is designated Ladonai. What does that mean? To God? For God? As gods? Right? That Lamed the word you know that we would put in English is two. In Hebrew isn't just two. Aniladodivodili. I am my I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. That makes zero sense. In Hebrew, the lamed is is possess it's a ownership. it's it can mean ownership. I lidodi, I am to my beloved, which means I am my beloved's. And my beloved, Lee, is to me. That lamed gets used differently in Hebrew. That changes how we're going to deal with this Azazel business. So, Clearly, here it seems to suggest one is designated Ladonai God. for God that belongs to God, and one is designated Lazazel as belonging to Azazel, right? One's for, or you could say, or just say, one is for Azazel. One is for God. One is for Azazel.
3: So who is well? We,
2: that word? Ha. Yeah. Or. Or what? Or who? What? Or where? So we have three possibilities. Okay. So and we're not told. Is this a name of a person, a being, a place?
3: Is it related to Bezalel?
2: A thing? No. No. Okay. Uh, wait. It sounds similar to us, but very different letters in Hebrew. Alright, uh, okay, so let's, let's, here we go. So Aaron shall bring forward the goat designated Ladonai, right, for God, which is to offer as a sin offering. So this is a, a sin offering for the Israelites. While the goat designated for Lot Lazazel, I'm not going to translate it, shall be left standing alive before Yod to make expiation with it, to send it and send it off. To the wilderness, L'Azazel. Right? Now, you may have an English translation, right? They're going to have to translate that Lamed. How, how does yours translate that Lamed? And send it off into the wilderness? For Azazel. Mine has the same translation. For Azazel. They have to deal with that Lamed. But as soon as you translate it as for, you now already have done something to what the definition of Azazel is, haven't you? So, always remember, this is a translation, and as soon as you're dealing in translation, you are already dealing with interpretation. Because what if Lazazel means two Azazel? One Will make expiation. Will be sacrificed and make expiation. Uh, and the other one will be left standing to make expiation with it and to send it off to the wilderness to Azazel. That's a
3: person, or a- it's- so. Oh,
2: trying- but do you see? The minute you translate it as four, you, we're, I'm not saying it's ant- antithetical to the, translating it as two. But you're already doing something. We don't know. <coughs> we don't know what Azazel is.
3: Isn't Azazel currently kind of used like hell, go to
2: hell? People well, think that's what it means? <laughs> lechla Azazel, I know, right? I know. And so you think you're saying go to hell. You're saying go to this. Because <laughs> okay. it's not a good thing. Right? You know, like, we know that it's not a good thing. Well, I mean, it's a good thing for us mm-hmm. because the goat's going to take all of our sins with it, right? Um, but but lechla Azazel is not a positive statement. Oh, no. I'm right, sure. it's like, so no, what I'm saying like... So, but it, but people don't know so, yeah. what they're saying. It's kind of used that way. It's used like go to hell, yeah.
3: Why is it not positive? It could mean freedom. Because it's not being sacrificed. Because the goat takes our sins with him all away.
2: So it could mean that the goat is free, and probably this goat has a better, right right now, a better lot than the other one. If it's being sent to a place in the... Mid bar, where there is no or very little sustenance, it's not going to be moved to the places where there's green, right, or whatever, it's banished, right, then possibly it's a very slow and agonizing death for this animal.
3: Unless it meets Miriam.
2: Unless it meets Miriam, and then she can take care of it, right? She's got a well, she's got a, a lot going on. All right, Lisa, your hand was up first. Where
0: else do we see
2: this We don't. We don't. So it's only in this ritual.
3: We do see the goat use Sure.
1: We may not know what it is, but is it equal to God? I mean, because the sacrifices are the same.
2: So, so let's let's hold that. Let's hold that question.
0: There is a there is a uh,
2: Okay, I, I I will. We're okay. gonna unpack it. What yeah.
0: um, is the devil?
2: Ah, uh, so so this is this is our best guess is that there was some kind of demon, a goat demon, that, or a god, god, some kind of a god that is the, the desert demon god, uh, and that is what you're sending this goat to. Now, was it originally an offering to propitiate the demon god? Possibly. Possibly this is a remnant of pre-Israelite behavior, that gets reconstructed by the Israelites in light of this monotheism and this Yudhe Vavhe business. So you demote Azazel, right? Just like we demoted Tehom, right? We Tiamat, we we demote the goddess Tiamat to become Tehom in Genesis, right? We're gonna have that same demotion here of Azazel to a place the place where azazel rules or used to rule so the the desert right that 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 place that ooh we don't want we don't want to go there that, do
1: you think it implies a power equal to god
2: n- certainly not here certainly not absolutely no question does it is it a remnant of a time where you propitiated the good God and the bad god? Very possibly. Yeah. Very likely, I would say. Yeah. That once upon a time these were equal.
1: Because they could have used different sacrifices depending on the status of the power that was there.
2: That's right. And different rituals for different
1: yeah.
2: for different gods, right? So very possibly this was at one time equal clearly not by the time we get this text. George, what is that? You've got this amazing look on your face like...
3: <laughs> yes!
2: Yes, it is. That's exactly what this is. Right? That's exactly what this is. That's where the word comes from. Is All of the sins of the people of Israel are placed on the goat and the goat is banished. So it takes all of the Sins and all the ickiness with it, right? That is, it is scapegoating. Absolutely. So it's going to die instead of us. We deserve it, but it's going to perish eventually um, instead of us. And, but the important thing is, it takes it out of here and takes it far away. So if we recall last week's parsha, when we look at tzaraat how was one purified and to come back to the camp after you're declared clean of tzara'atz?
3: You, you leave the camp. You
2: go to mikvah? You, you've come back to camp. You do mikvah. What else? The
0: priests have to go out. The, the priests? Offering.
2: What is the offering? Must be a <laughs> <laughs> Two doves? <laughs> what happens with the two doves? What happens with one, one of them? One, one. one. <clears throat> you break its neck, and you drain the blood into a bowl. The other one, what happens? Feathers were dipped into that blood, and it was set free. Right? To, to, presumably to take all... So this is not out of our realm of what happens mm-hmm. when it's time to deal with wanting ickiness to get gone. Mm-hmm. Right? So
3: now we use the ocean. We, let, we take our breadcrumbs
2: or whatever and throw them into the ocean. Right, so tashlich, right, this this same idea of running water. The ocean is not the greatest tashlich vehicle because you throw it and then it comes back. (laughs) (laughs) Much better is a flowing stream, which is where that would have originated, right? Was it a stream in Eastern Europe, (laughs) in Poland or Lithuania? You you throw your breadcrumbs in and they're gone. A, a, we do not have that. No. I always watch the bird seed come back and then it goes out, then it comes back, and then it goes out. So, so we have
3: to hang the goats. Yeah, yeah, go
2: we'll get a goat. That's right, Jody. That's a great idea. We'll get a goat. <laughs> um, it is interesting that it's not that this is one of the few places that we see that not sacrificing something atones. This is one of the very few places, right? So often, you, know, you put your, you always put your hands on the head of the animal. You're designating it as mine. It's mine. It stands in for me, right? And then it's, it's sacrificed. So this is one of the very few places where making expiation doesn't involve the sacrifice of the animal it's it's banishment right it, it carries and i have to believe that there was once a year there's a reason i think it was once a year that this happened right that you can imagine the people all gathered and this goat you know these goats are trotted mm-hmm. through them you know and then one is designated and it's going to have happened to it what all of them you know have happened when they're offered as sacrifices and one the people are going to watch be sent off i mean it has to be a fairly powerful. Ritual of riddance, right? But it's not normative. Is
0: there a fear that it could be you being sent off?
2: When you I think, scapegoat? but that's what sacrifice always evokes, right? Is I, I could get gone. I, I could get, like, because that's what I deserve in some ways for what I've done, right? I, if, if it were strict justice, right? The, I, it would be me. It would be me. Like, and so I think that's always what these rituals evoke. Yeah, like, right misbehave enough and chop me that goat and you'll be that goat and in the ancient world that was the worst thing that could happen to you it wasn't death or probably even slavery it was being left behind because then you don't know what's going to happen and you're completely vulnerable and you're toast right
3: well, we retain that idea in a lot of our thinking today psychologically my my child guy was because I did something terrible sure or my my being hurt is because I walk the wrong path. Yeah, we still have that, in
2: our thinking sure that we that we bring on right terrible things by our right. behavior, right? Absolutely, but, you know, there's a very clear psychological tie, right? That is still which is why Yom Kippur is still so powerful. Yes. I think is because. We all feel that. We all experience that. We're all eager to find a way to feel like it's been cleared. So I start clean. I start fresh. I start without that, because otherwise it just starts, it just kind of collects and collects and collects, and you know, I think it's a critical psychological mechanism, right, this this idea, and the other thing we've retained is that horror of being banished, right, it, Every human being is hardwired, bless you, to not want to be left, right? We, we are hardwired to do what we need to to stay in the group. It's why we behave the way we do, right? It explains so much of our not-so-pretty behavior as well as our great behavior, right? Is it the most dreadful thing that could happen is that we're kicked out of the community, right? And it's from a time where it really did mean you were Host. You were done if you were if you didn't have folks around you working as a pack. A human being couldn't survive where, where we originate. You know where our DNA is most comfortable, where it comes from, where all of our hardwiring comes from. You wouldn't survive very long by yourself.
3: All right.
2: So this is a very powerful. <clears throat> image, this idea that it is banished, right, and it is sent out, and it is carrying with it the sins of the people. Alright, 11,
0: Robert?
1: Aaron shall then offer his bowl of purgation offering to make expiation for himself and his household. He shall slaughter his bowl of purgation offering, and he shall take a handful of glowing coal scooped from the altar before Adonai, and two handfuls of finely ground of aromatic incense, and bring this behind the curtain he shall put the incense on the fire before Adonai so that the cloud from the incense screens the cover that is over the ark of the pack lest he die he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger over the cover on the east side and in front of the cover he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times he shall then slaughter the people's go to purgation offering Bring its blood behind the curtain, and do with his blood as he has done with the blood of the bull. He shall sprinkle it over the cover and in front of the cover. Go on. Thus he shall purge the shrine of the impurity and transgression of the Israelites, whatever their sins. And he shall do the same for the tent of meeting, which abides with them in the midst of their impurity. When he goes in to make expiation in the shrine, nobody else shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out.
2: Okay. So there are two, this is what's required for the purification, for the, it's expiation, right? This is kapara, lechaper, to make atonement, to make purgation, right? So this is on behalf of, to to do that for the, the yuckiness created by Aaron and his family that's sticking to the, holy places, as well as that of the Israelites, right? We know this, right? Yuckiness that, that is caused by our sins is drawn to the Sancta, right? And is hanging out all over the Sancta.
3: Kaperlanu.
2: Ka-per-lanu. Make lanu for us, on us, on our behalf. And so, and that's what he's doing. He is l'chapering. Right? On behalf of the people. Because they can't do it. Only he can do it. Right? As their representative. So he, he's gonna take the blood. What's, what, what's blood? What's blood?
0: Life.
2: Thank you. The life force, the detergent, right? He's gonna take that, the blood of both. He's gotta do the, the bull and the he goat. He has to use the ritual detergent that's, one is specific to priestly sin stuff. Right? And the other is specific to getting rid of Israelite sin stain. Right? You have two stain removers. And you need to use the appropriate one for the appropriate stain. Right? So he uses one, and and as we've seen, right? He dashes it seven times. Where is he dashing it? Here. Right?
0: Because
2: that's critical. It is critical. Why is it critical that he cleanse that space, the kaporet, the on the ark? He's about to go in. Well, he's about to go in. Well, that's a different—that's a different thing. That's a danger he has to mitigate. But why is it critical that that blood, that the detergent, get here? That's a dangerous place. Wouldn't it better we say, you know? I'm, I'm sure that it's not a lot in there. I'm sure not a lot made it in there, right? Like, why risk it? Why go in there and, like, deal with how dangerous that spot is to, to dash blood on the Kippurah? Isn't
0: that where we see it? Eyes?
2: Because that's where the kavod is going to be. If that has the, si- the stain of sin, what what can't happen? God can't dwell there if there is dross from sin here sticking to the holy, the holy of holies in this on the Kaporet, where between the Kruvim, that's where God's kavod is going to be. And God's kavod can't be here if there is it's tarnished. junk, if it's tarnished, if, it's, if there's plaque. <laughs> right? Because God's essential holiness is repelled by... Sin, or impurity, or like whatever, all those words we want to use for not kadosh. And it's a repellent. And so that is, that is what Yom Kippur ensures. That's the point of the ritual. It ensures that God's kavod can dwell in the holy of holies, because if that happens, God dwells in the midst of the people of Israel. And if God doesn't or can't, we're done. We're done. That's the point, is for God to dwell, for us to be an amkadosh, for us to be a holy people with God dwelling at the center. And if that can't happen because of our behavior, we are done.
3: But there's some kind of curtain there, and that gets bloodstained. And how do you get he
2: goes behind the curtain, so that's why he's got to have incense. He takes it. So this is to your point. He takes so what's his protection? Incense. The cloud. the cloud of incense fills the holy of holies, so that it, in some way, protects Aaron as he goes in there. And then he dashes. He goes behind the curtain, dashes the blood on the kaporet and then comes out but it's super dangerous right
0: this is why uh, on the high holidays, some people go and pray to the ark individually and then other people complain that this is idolatry because the ark places to
2: so we're just, I'm just going to play with language for a minute like, so they don't pray to the ark right they pray in front of the ark at the ark yeah. okay so so there so so what what are you what are you likening it to here
0: here that it's an idol
2: but is there something you wanted to tie it to in terms of our ritual when you say is this like is this, what like this
1: is um, uh, the question is is this the creation of an idol
2: well that's a different Conversation. I thought we were going, I, th- I, th- I thought you were trying to, to tie it to what happened here. Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you make it pure, you want it to pure for the Lord to come down and be there. So then now it's a thing, it's, it's a statue uh, on the cross. It's...
2: All right. So, so what I, I think what I hear you saying is this was about purifying the ark so that God's presence could dwell there. What, is, what are we doing with the ark, since it's not about God's presence being there? Is that what you're saying? So now why is the ark the big focus? Since God's presence is everywhere, presumably? Why so focused on the ark?
0: Yes.
2: Okay. So, so I think there still is this idea of degrees of holiness, that just as there is a difference between the holiness of this space and the holiness of this space, I think that remains with us. As a people, it's just my, it's my theory. As an anthropologist, this is my theory. We still have that. The sanctuary is sacred space. Yom Kippur is sacred time. The ark is still supercharged. We face the ark at certain times. Whenever the ark is open, we rise because Torah is kind of the central symbol of holiness for us. It's what we have left. We, have the ark we, we went from. We went from things to words, right? We don't have the menorah or the incense or the bull or the he-goat, right? We we move from that to the sanctity of words and the Torah itself, the scroll, both symbolizes the words, right? And has, I think, still this sense of that's what's from God are the words. That's why they were in the Holy of Holies, right? It's that old, our instinct to venerate the words it's that the teachings it's this old that's what was in that ark that's why it was so holy right it is because it was to carry the word of god our best understanding of what god demands from us wants from us so that we can be in relationship with the divine that is what jews venerate now that that becomes the Torah scroll. Like all of that is represented by the Torah scroll. So I believe we still have an instinct that says the Ark and standing in front of the Ark is a holier, not holier, a more intense experience of Kedusha than just sitting on the top pew. And so I think that's the instinct at Yom Kippur for people to want To stand in that place of the most kedusha we can experience, and 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 offer their prayers, you know, from there, and And, you know, and kind of bathe in that superchargedness. I personally don't like it, just because I'm with you. I think it's a little too, it's a little too close for me. For me, so we have people do it if they want to. We go on with the service. Used to be we waited. For everybody to do it. And I think people felt pressured and they felt like they had to, and and like, because everything stopped, you had to, and now we have combined it to be um, that those who want to do that, because it's super powerful for them, they are invited to do that. The rest of us are gonna, well, I'm not here anymore in the sanctuary, but, you know, but Rabbi Renner then continues the service while that goes on. Because I I do have a pretty high level of discomfort with how close it gets to idolatry.
1: Yeah, no, that's terrific. And you know, if this goes back to the definition of the uh, in Hebrew. Is it to or for? And that's how you introduce your answer to the question. If it's...
3: Four. Four. Uh, it makes sense.
2: It brushes up too close to two. I get it. Pam?
0: Um, What it's saying here, he shall take a handful of glowing coals from the altar before God and two handfuls of finely ground aromatic incense and bring this behind the parochet. He shall put the incense on the fire before Adonai so that the cloud from the incense screams the cover that is over the ark. And I just think—is there some commentary? Because I'm getting an image of Aaron going in with his smoky incense, and the cloud is there, and of the two merging at some level. that seems very—I
2: really haven't like read any, but it's what I'm but it's lovely, right? That that his cloud mingles with God's kavod, although although I. I, uh, this is just my hunch from doing this a long time. I, I would have to check it. I don't think anyone can go into the Holy of Holies when God's kavod is actually present. Moshek, nobody can go. I don't think the kavod is here. Did
0: it come down when the Mishkan was completed and, and now it's there?
2: My suspicion is no, but you check it.
3: I think so. Okay. I see the way What about <laughs> guys, when the Torah is carried around in the sanctuary and people kiss it you know so How this do you
2: is feel about that um, that one is fine with me because i have reconst- well, not reconstructed it if you if you look at the original meaning of that ritual people used to wear uh, four-cornered garments on it if you were a free person were fringes, right? If you had the status of being legally free, there was often a bead on that that had your name engraved on it. All the documents were written in wet clay with a stylus. And if you sign the document, you roll your signet bead into the wet clay. That's how you sign the document. So the the original... This is a theory, but I love it. The original intent of taking tzitzit and touching it to the Torah is you say, I'm signing on. <laughs> I take my fringe and I sign the agreement. Every time it comes by, I, I say, yes, I'm in. And that is a sacred act, right? And um, I, I think it's a beautiful, you know, for me, that's a very powerful and beautiful thing. Is I'm, It's not the Torah itself, although it's close. It's, I mean, it's, I won't lie. Right. It's close. Right. Like I don't I still have my, you know, yeshiva Bukharet, you know, training. And I don't put I don't put a Torah on the floor. God forbid. Right. And if it goes on the floor, I pick it up and kiss it. Right. So there's there's still I get it. I totally get it that there's still a veneration of the object in a way. But I really have to believe that, that our veneration of the object is because of the words in it, which is still different to me. Then and even the mezuzah, I kiss the mezuzah. That's my own personal spiritual practice, right? Um, but it's not the mezuzah we kiss. It's the the mezuzah is a container for the words inside. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. That's what that's what's holy. And commit to say, I will live like this as I enter, as I leave. And we as I enter and as I leave this space and go to that space or leave the world and come back home as I leave my home and go out into the world it's the same intention that I shouldn't forget I should be the same person in my house that I am out there and I should be, if only I could be the same person at home that I am here. It's, it's unfortunately not the case. Just to ask my 13-year-old daughter, um, it's and my partner, right? So, but it's the attempt to remind us that we're supposed to be that same person, right, in both spaces related to that same. So, so I, I have the same discomfort. It still makes me nervous, but not. As un- but it doesn't make me as uncomfortable. I don't know if it's because it's the words themselves, right, that are really being, you know, paraded around. I'm, I'm not sure, but it doesn't make me quite as nervous as going and touching and venerating. It just it One feels, feels like different. A reminder. It's and
3: connected.
2: the other it yells like Well, and 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 other people experience that other ritual that way. Like I totally understand that. When
3: it's carrying around. <laughs> it's carrying around by your community, by ordinary people, including uh, the rabbi
2: or cantor. And there's something wonderful about that. Yeah, that it's... And, and I, oh, that's the thing I wanted to say. was the other, the other meaning of that ritual that I find really powerful is in most places, the is up, right? And so the people don't... Well, they don't have access you know, to the bima. It's over there. It's at the front, unless you're smart. It's at the front. I'm sitting in the back. Right? And it's up, and I, I certainly can't see any of any the words on the table, right? And, or what, or the Torah. So what happens is the Torah comes out of the ark, right? And all of the big machers are on the bima, right? And doing all the macher stuff. And what is the first thing that happens in the Torah service? The machers walk behind the Torah, carried by a member of the community, and the Torah is processed through the community so everyone can touch. I think it is a very important, very important thing that we start the Torah service with, I never skip a procession. Never, 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 never skip the procession. Why? Because that is the most critical message. It doesn't belong to us on the bima. We are not any closer to this than you. It does not belong to me more than it belongs to, you know, Fivel, Goldberg, like it, 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 the, the smallest to the largest among us in character, in stature, in everything are equal when it comes to access to Torah. I always tell the bar mitzvah kid, slow down. There are people who are trying to touch. If it's girls in heels, I don't have to tell them to slow down. They can barely make it up and down the stairs. But the boys, I like I say, slow down. People are trying to touch. I said, Torah belongs to them. We're doing this because Torah belongs to them. Give them access. And that—that that is another reason I love love the the procession.
1: Yes? Oh, you know, this cabinet here is called an Aro Kodosh. Mm-hmm. Not because the wood is holy or the glass but the significance of what it
2: contains. Absolutely. The holy ark is not holy because it's, the glass is special. right? It's holy because it contains for us the what's the essence of Kedusha. The essence of holiness for us is concentrated in the words of Torah that contain all this other nice stuff that we love to be about, but that's the k- kind of crystallization of all of it, right? Because if we love this and we love that and we love this and we love that, well, it's all in there. Right? Like, all that we love is symbolized by right? the words from which we, or the ideas from which we got all that. Right? Because somehow the rabbis even derive Shabbos candles from that. Right? Shabbos candles are not in there. A kiddush cup's not in there. But but for us, we read all of that back into Torah. Yes?
3: I'm thinking, too, about the practice of kashrut and how it also puts the, the center of holiness as to what is in our heart, what, what's in our body, and how we eat is a reminder, like touch, touching the mezuzah, like carrying the Torah, of godliness within every person.
2: Every, every act we do. Eating, sex, all of them. Whatever we do, there is a component that says you you can do it till here.
0: Right.
2: Anything that we do as human beings that involves appetite. This is Yitz Greenberg's sermon. That anything we do that involves appetite, which is anything. All appetites. All appetites are treated the same way by Judaism. They are mitigated some we talked about this some people deny appetite other people say go ahead and do whatever you want you have survival of the fittest take as much as you want Judaism is a middle path that says sanctify it you have appetites that's fine sanctify Every act you do. So when you eat, you're of course you should eat. Of course you should enjoy. We're Jews. Like who knows better than us? Food, of course, right? You do anything, there better be food. Eat it. Enjoy it. It's wonderful. Your your bubby, have more. Have more. Right? Have more. So we love it. Good. We should eat. We should enjoy. We should say a bracha before we eat it. We should bench after we eat it. And we're gonna be. We have categories of what we can eat, and what we can't eat within. Within what we are permitted, we should enjoy as much as we want, as long as we give thanks before and after. Right? Same with sex. Right. There are times and ways and whatever from the tradition that it's permitted. And within those, you should enjoy. Right? A woman can bring, you know, a complaint against her husband if she's not sexually satisfied, according to the Talmud. Right? He's he's told based on his occupation how many times he must have sex with his wife in a week or a month or a year depending on his career yes if he's a tailor and he works down the road he has to have sex with her every shabbos at least every shabbos and if he's a traveling salesman he has to make sure he comes home once every six months or whatever and to make sure he pleasures his wife and if he is in the army right then he has to come home once a year but like it but she has a right to sexual pleasure so so with every appetite is, is fine. It's it depends how we engage with it. But, but when we engage within what's permitted, given the boundaries, we're supposed to enjoy. Knock
1: your socks off. Is <laughs> that <laughs> just in the book uh, and not
2: the Is <laughs> that <laughs> just in the women's story commentary? Or is it also in Eitz Chaim? Is that what you're asking there? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So go to this verse. (laughs) Go to verse 16. Thus, like the priest, will purge the shrine of the uncleanness and transgression of the Israelites, whatever their sins, and will do the same for the tent of meeting, which abides with them in the midst of their uncleanness. (laughs) My note, which I love here, says, this was the concession made by God out of God's love for Israel. God allowed God's people to build an earthly residence on condition for God on condition that its purity be strictly maintained. In a very real sense, this was the primary purpose of the entire biblical ritual of Yom Kippur. Right, so we keep talking about lest he die, and it's going to be supercharged, and it's so terrible, and why even bother with this then? Right, and I think we forget that the Israelite understanding is this is a concession made by God out of love, that the people are sinful, and it's unnatural for God's kedusha. It's unnatural for God to even want to be anywhere near such garbage. Right? God has to hold you know God's nose like to come down into the Mishkan. Right? It stinks so bad. But God concedes because God so loves us that God says, I'm gonna give you ways to to deal with a certain space so that I can come close to you. Because I want I want to be close to you. I want to be in your midst, even though y'all make it really, really hard. me to dwell among you, right? Because if we didn't sin, there'd be no problem, right? All of this craziness is because we can't keep it free of sin because we are who we are. But thank God, our understanding is we have a God who wants desperately to be in relationship with us anyway. And um, I meant to bring it. There's this wonderful, wonderful poem uh, by Rabbi uh, Maggie Winnig. And it's a, it's a poem written for the high holidays. And she talks about God sitting at the kitchen table. And God's waiting for us to come home. And that God's been sitting and waiting. And, you know, you can figure the mandel bread is out, you know, the tea is out. You know, and, and God is sitting and waiting for us to come home. And um, I'll bring it. I'll try to remember to bring it for next week. And it's a very, very powerful image for me. And it's this idea that, that, that God God gave us permission to build a place that's home for God because God wants very much to be with us around the kitchen table. And that's another part of eating, right? That's you know, All of this stuff about sacrifice is about, it's about sharing a meal with God. The whole idea of eating the sacrificial meat that Israelites ate it, the priests ate it, it's because they're coming to the kitchen table. To sit and have a nosh with God. This is as intimate as it gets. And I don't mean to denigrate any of this by saying kitchen table. I hope you understand that. Like that that's, that's Where do we feel most at home? Who, the people who are closest to us, we don't sit at the dining room table. Right? Come on, think of your best friends. Think about the people you love the most. When they're in your home, where are they all gathered? In the kitchen. In the kitchen. The kitchen company. Kitchen company. Of course. Those are our intimates. Our intimates sit with us at our kitchen table or our kitchen counter or sit on the counter. Like, think of all the ways we gather right in the kitchen. And, um, and, and this is the image I want us you know, to, to close with in terms of um, this whole idea of mishkan and sacrifice and all of these elaborate rituals that, that, yes, they're elaborate and, yes, they're supposed to move us, but they're supposed to move us to a place of feeling like we are pure and forgiven enough to sit in the divine presence.
3: Oh, this sounds so beautiful and so different. Uh oh, <laughs> the, the chicken around
2: your head. It's so, so I I, I know. What you're talking about. I know it sounds crazy. I know. And for the people who engage with it, I mean, the only place I've I've dealt with it is in Israel, where, where my um, friends and roommates were from, you know, more uh, Middle Eastern or um, Sephardic, you know, origins, and. One of them was desperate to get home, desperate to get home, and the bus wasn't on time, and she wasn't sure she could get it. And she was desperate because she was going to miss her father's shep and 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 if she missed that ritual, something was going to be seriously compromised about Yom Kippur. And he called her and said, "Not to worry, I've laid your clothes out on the bed, and I'll shep kaporas over your clothes," oh. and and it, for her. She she did not feel like she was clean like she was it was lifted that it was the ego right it it lifts the sin from her and it puts it on that chicken and and some people use money um, I don't know if they use, I think they used money but but there was the sense of it, it wouldn't be efficacious Yom Kippur wouldn't be fully efficacious if before that. Her, she wasn't there for her father's shepherd you know, like doing this ritual of of Kaporas of transferring her sin, you know, onto something else.
1: Sacrifice clearly is a throwback
3: to the priestly
2: era. Right? Absolutely. And for and for some people,
0: it,
2: right? For some people, it remains powerful. seriously powerful. All right. So I'm going to close with the words of. The poet, the Minnesota poet of blessed memory, um, Ruth Brin. Achare Mot, Atonement in Spring, Leviticus 16. The earth turns, the seasons roll, the days lengthen now to warmth and spring. Yet the passage prescribed for us to read this day tells us to observe the Day of Atonement. The Torah speaks of Yom Kippur while the trees bud joyously outside our windows. Perhaps the Torah speaks now in the spring of atonement because we know so well our songs of joy carry with them the counterpoints of tragedy. Studying the ancient ways, we shall seek atonement. We shall seek unity with God, whose holiness is beyond our logic and our imagination. Yet, you who are God of the deep rhythms of life, of sun and rain, of sin and forgiveness, you who are master of the ultimate mysteries, of your holiness, of our tragedy, and of our joy. We thank you, Lord, now and in the season of our repentance, that you have taught us atonement and offered us forgiveness. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org